This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Days after dressing up as Donald Trump, I don't think this is the <laughs> best approach for you. When he's on the mic, he's got the flavour. His name is Sebastian Stafford Blob. Big up, Seb. How's it going? <laughs> That's all right, mate. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, God. Don't do that miss- again. I miss all that era of like <laughs> jung- jungle mass. See, that was my kind of, I guess that was probably like grime back in my day was that sort of drum and bass jungle scene. I always quite liked all that. Police in helicopter. Do you remember that banger? Seb? Oh my Surely. God. No, I haven't had that for years. Yeah, see, you do remember it. Like it was, yeah. I cannot picture Seb at a jungle rave. No, I naturally heard it on somebody else's uh, somebody else's uh, bootleg. Yeah, didn't you say Moose always used to play you all that type of stuff though? Didn't they? Uh, no, Moose was really into the Wu Tang Clan. Um, good man, man of good taste. Yeah, I don't remember. It. I don't remember him going through a jungle phase. Uh... <laughs> Fair play. Um, right, yeah. So this is Rural Roost podcast. After that, somewhat cringe intro went went a little bit Ali G in places uh, but you know <laughs> you when they set up like um, pirate radio station in the film yeah what, uh, the bit that I always remember for that is when Martin Freeman is doing the helicopter noise I can't, I can't remember the film though I remember the TV oh like, I remember this. the film yeah, yeah. with the uh, yeah yeah <laughs> the film was actually reasonably good like it's perfectly fine as it was like right. the tv to... series was always a lot better though i've yeah, always oh, felt of this course, about yeah. sasha baron cohen like his off the cuff his ad-libbing with people is like for example like the old borat on the old tv series was yeah. so much better than and the film was good the film was good but it didn't it know. didn't like the, the like the original ali g was you know the, it, when it was in sort of like 10 minute segments in the 11 o'clock show um oh, mate, so that was good. uh yeah that was great when when he was fresh and new, and it was sort of like the, you know, <laughs> uh, we're we're doing the film and TV bit at the beginning. Let's 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 not do that because we get in trouble for that. Yeah, this is Rulerish podcast. We're here to talk about Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, um, and also just about shit. Let's 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 dive straight in, lads. 
Leicester City Football Club. We were held to, to a one-all draw. Raj, what are your immediate hot takes from that game? Um, I think we should have won it, um, personally. Um, I didn't see the match live. I was watching England, New Zealand at the, the same time. So I only watched the Sky highlights, the hour that they put together. Um, so I might have missed something as a pre cursor to what I'm about to say but no I, I thought it was reasonably good I think we, we did enough to sort of win that game um, I think that was the first goal we conceded in open play as well the the Musa goal um, so it, it's much the same as what we've said about previous performances where we've just not gone over the line it sort of it goes to show how important the likes of Alderweire Aldan Kane can be at the same time not discounting um, the jobs that the, the people have come in and done around them have been you know, they've not been disastrous, but at the same time, it's never going to be at the same level. Seb, how how would you feel about the... Uh, any hot takes, basically, from the game? Um, no, not really. I mean, I just remember not being quite as upset as a lot of other people seem to be. I mean, we didn't play great. I mean, we, we, we had a good hour, um, created a little bit. I mean, it's the same old stuff, isn't it? I mean, you know, we miss Kane... Um, that kind of, I, I, I think that sort of the, um, a couple of our attacking midfielders have gone off the boil a little bit and obviously we missed Alderweireld and actually, you know what, like, okay, you know, we, a terrible error to, 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 which led to that goal that we conceded, but you know, it was, um, I don't know if there's a silver lining, at least we created the chance for them. We weren't being cut open by them. I mean, they didn't, they had a, they had a few spells of possession towards the end and they, they, they did get better and they, they were quite resilient, but um, I don't know. I mean, I, um, I, I, if you said to me that we could have been unbeaten going into November, I'd, I think I'd have taken that. Um, it was perfectly fine. Just we didn't get the result we wanted. I would say, okay, let me put a negative spin on this. At, at the moment, <laughs> like from watching that game and from watching our past few games, I've personally felt like it hasn't really looked like there's a goal coming from anywhere. Mm. We've been we've been kind of very careful in build up but essentially when we when we're required to make that kind of that killer pass or to essentially make that play that final ball that's been lacking um partly this i would and it's it's not an, it's not a particularly popular opinion but part of this i would attribute to vincent jansen I honestly would, I, I, and I, I, a lot has been made about the fact he's not getting the service, but I don't see him being in the sort of position to receive anything, ever. I think his positioning is way off, and I, I felt it was against Leicester, and I do understand he needs to get up to speed, and he has been thrown in at the deep end, but at the same time, I do think criticism where it's due, and I feel Janssen has a lot of work to do. I really do. Um... I'm I'm not I'm not that overawed by him. I've, I've I've always felt that. So, for example, with Lamella, uh, we've defended him, we've defended Ericsson in the past, but with those kind of guys, I've always seen enough from them in their relative positions to 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 say, well, you know, their work. If they work on that, and if they work on a few things around that, they'll be an asset to this team. With Janssen, I'm I'm seeing him. Yeah, okay, he's he's laying off the odd ball and he's holding up play at the top, but I'm not seeing enough from him, personally speaking at least, to suggest that he is going to be an effective centre forward. 
Um, there, there was there was there was a few glimpses. I, I will say, in the interest of fairness, there were a few times something I've criticised him for is that you know he's he's obviously he's he's played with his back to goal a lot of the time. And I've noticed he's been very reticent to try and turn the defender and take a shot. He has he has been working on that. He he did that a couple of times against Leicester. I think on about the 70, 70th minute or so, he actually had a really nice turn and shot. Um, so there are glimpses there, but I'm just I'm I don't know. Jury's out. He, he I'm not writing him off yet, but I think he I think past him having to get a bit fitter past him having to adapt to a new league, so on and so forth. I think as an actual footballer, I'm not overly convinced he's at the type of level we need a player to be at, um, or maybe ever will be. But jury's out on that. Um, I actually I wrote about Vincent Rianton recently, so I spent quite a bit of time thinking about him and going through and looking at what he'd done and, and sort of, you know, the patterns in his play and, and things like that. And, well, there, there are elements of of what you're touching. I think there's, I think there was, in my opinion, at least more to be sort of more promising play from him than um, maybe you you your opinion is that you, you've seen. Um, because the the example I made and and the sort of the the line and parallel that I drew is watching him play in this team now is a bit like when you see somebody typing on a keyboard and every time they want to do a capital letter, they pray, they press caps lock, press the letter and then go back and press caps lock rather than just doing shift. So he, it's almost as if he doesn't know the right shortcut and he's not quite as attuned and, and you know, as au fait with his work as he needs to be yet, which is perfectly understandable. The other thing is that, especially with that Liverpool game, um, there are there are almost um, repeated selection mistakes that were occurring with Soldado, and that's not a, a parallel that I want to rely on too heavily because one of them was a, a ready-made striker in his prime um, towards his thirtieth birthday from Spain, who who should have come in and, and hit the ground running. The other one is. Mm you know, a player who's younger than Harry Kane, who's come from a league that isn't mm. as good. So the, the, I think the parallel between those two players isn't um, as pronounced as people make it out to be, but... No, it is a false equivalency, yeah. isn't it? Like, it's, But in this... I, I, I've done it jokingly, but I know it's yeah, not. Yeah, I, I wasn't saying it to you personally, but I just in no, making no. this point, I didn't want it to look like I was making mm. another. With that Liverpool game, if you put him in a team that is new and doesn't have... Um, the leadership in it that the other team that you know the first team does, and you sort of take away from him the support that the first team gives him um, behind him, then he's obviously not going to look as good. And that's what often happened with with Soldado. He often dropped into a team in the Europa League that was the kids and Soldado, and he couldn't do anything because there was really nothing happening behind him to any sort of quality because it was obviously a lesser team. And I, the last thing I want to see happen is that he drops into a team that isn't playing to his strengths and people then draw conclusions from that because they think he's not good enough when the fault may be with his service. And the, the mm. last point I made is that the difference between him and Carrie Kane is, and it, again, it 
comes down to confidence and, and being settled is when Harry Kane wants something to happen or we need a goal, he makes it happen. He doesn't wait for the service. He he creates his own chances. There are times in a game where sort of, I don't want to use the word arrogance, but perhaps leadership is more appropriate where he is now, a, he's worked himself into being a senior member of the squad enough to drop back 10, 15 yards, take it off the feet of the midfielder himself or demand the pass and make something happen himself. Whereas Vincent Janssen is, he he's playing second fiddle to Ericsson and to Deli Ali and Lamella and he is allowing them to take control of situations that Harry Kane himself would go and insert himself into. Whereas I think Janssen's far too polite yet. I think he's there, there needs to be a little bit more arrogance and a little bit more confidence in himself and he needs to go and just throw himself into the situation. I think he touched on that by saying he he doesn't get himself as, as involved and in the positions to score as much as you want him to be. I think technically his, his positioning and his movement is as good as it can be because instinctively he gets himself and makes runs and, and gets himself into the positions he needs to be but he doesn't look particularly commanding when he's in them. So it's not as if he's bellowing and, and demanding the ball be given to him when and where he wants it. He's just sort of standing around in the hope that he gets a chance rather than sort mm. of proactively making it happen. And th- that was my take anyway. No, it's fair, it's fair. So grow a pair, Vince, basically. Essentially, yeah, because I, 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 in the <laughs> yeah. piece that I wrote, I actually went and had a look at the the top 10 scorers in Premier League history, the people who scored the most in, in the competition, and they've all got a slice of dickhead in them. Each and every single one of them, if you go and have a look at the list yourselves, they're not players that you'd particularly think are nice people or, or so were... you Robbie Fowlers and so on and so yeah, forth. Yeah, exactly. Even players like Thierry Henry who have a good reputation, you, you ask the Irish about him, they, they won't have a nice word to say. Um, Alan Shearer's at the top and he took a you know, a great joy in breaking people's legs and, and throwing the odd elbow. Yeah. So it's not as if he, these are... Yes. Andy Cole? Yeah, uh, Dwight York, I think, was up there, maybe. No, it was Andy Cole, not Dwight York. Uh, Sheringham's up there. Sheringham, yeah. yeah. Jermaine Defoe. So these aren't these aren't players that sort of were, were wallflowers in, in any sense of the word. So he needs to, yeah, I think he needs to sort of show that he's got the minerals, to be honest. Any, anything to add at all at the moment, Seb? No, not really. I quite like Janssen. I mean, I... I, oh, I, I, I've been listening to. Been, he's doing reverse. I, I on. I, he's he's learned. Stop being so pious, Seb. I I don't disagree with anything you said. I just I I do just like him. I think that he. Um... Oh, so now you're patronising me? Is that is that? <laughs> <it>? <laughs> I I, I there, there are there are inefficiencies and and everything. Both of you have said is true. You know there 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 needs to be an improvement, quite obviously, but. Um, I think there's definitely enough to work with. And I just, um, I think also it's worth remembering that over these last few games, um, we've seen quite a big drop off from from other players as well. I mean, uh, Christian Eriksen. Eriksen, uh, Son has done nothing. Um, Ali is, I don't know, been a little bit self indulgent in the final third, I, I think. Um, See, I, I, I'd be interested to. to to talk about that one more because I've seen quite a few people criticise Ali. I think he's been fine. Like He's I, played I well, but he hasn't... I mean, he's played well up to a certain point in the pitch. Um, and then, you know, he, he's had... Uh, I think he should have scored that chance on Saturday. Um, I think that he can... He is becoming a little prone to 
I don't know whether it's a, a, a consequence of him getting a little bit um, uh, uh, sort of uh, carried away with the whole kind of nutmeg culture which has grown up around him, but I, I think that there are moments where you just think, okay, but just sometimes you can take a simple option. Um, he and he likes to take a tumble. I've noticed that lately. That's the sort of does. new thing he's added to his game this year, which I think it gets certain people's backs up. But again, it's one of those over-top players do it. Like mm. he, he knows he's learning how to play for a foul, which, you know. I don't think I'll ever like that about any player. Um, but, you know, I know look, Ali, Ali's a super player. He's not someone that... It's not a question of saying, oh, well, he's not quite as good as we thought he was. It's not that at all. He just... I think that... Um, I just... Maybe it's it's a sort of an overall issue in that the team isn't quite performing as well um, as a as an entity. And we've always said that you know when when um, when one aspect of our sort of our structure is off, everything else seems to suffer as a consequence. And uh, you know maybe, maybe maybe it's that. But I, I you know I, I yeah I mean Janssen's missed a few chances this season. I, I but I'm, I'm happy with what he's done over the last few games. I do, do uh, annoyingly. I, I, because I've criticised him, I think you know I can I can provide some balance. This it, it sounds like a cop out, but I I genuinely actually feel as well um, that Janssen has been like extraordinarily unlucky in 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 places as well. Like there's been a few ridiculous saves pulled off from some of his point blank chances. There's mm. been yeah a couple of times when he's hit the woodwork where it just hasn't you know the the ball hasn't just quite gone the right way for him. And I know that kind of sounds like a silly thing to say really because ultimately it's his job to put it in the back of the net but you, you just you you know what i'm getting at there are, the, yeah. there are some of those sometimes when strikers just get that that kind of like you know rub where it, it will just go in they'll they'll scuff that shot and it will still go in and so on and so forth so i, I do feel it's kind of it's all it's it's all against him a little bit at the moment um i was quite a, it feels unfair to to call him out um because I don't think he's fully fit, but I don't feel that Dembele's had the same kind of impact this year as he did last year, um, at least in the last sort of couple of games since he's been back. Do you think this is partly him getting up to speed, or do you think it's that you've kind of had Wanyama come in who looks fucking great? Like Wanyama, I feel, looks, although he gave away the, the ball annoyingly, mm. Just after I'd been waxing lyrical about it, he's in credit with us, though, Jack. I mean, his performances okay, made it, it was an ugly mistake, and you know, one that um, you know, ultimately fucked us a little bit. But you know, the, the guys, the guys had a, a succession of sensational games, um, and you know, it's, I, I, I don't know, mate. I, 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 I think we just have a little bit of a chemistry problem. We, we've got bad injuries. I mean, not in the sense of volume, but you know, two players who who really affect the way we play. And two players around whom, like someone like Dembele, is reliant because, you know, where Dembele receives the ball is ultimately um, a consequence of what Alderweireld does with it. Um, and also, let, let's make no mistake as well. In my opinion, two players that would walk into any side in the league as well. Yeah, exactly. Like you take those two players, you you take the equivalent of those two players out of any team. I don't go who is like, you know, it's like it's like Barcelona losing a sort of you know uh, losing a Busquets and a Messi for, on our level. You know, it just it changes stuff, and there's no real way around that. But okay, Kane's back in training today. Alderweireld is running again. Both seem to be. Kane seems certain to start on Sunday. Um, you know, probably neither will make it for tonight. Uh, for tomorrow night, recording this on a Tuesday, obviously. Um, 
but it's it's part of the game. You know, injuries are are what they are. I don't think okay. it's a coincidence that all these sort of slightly doom-mongering questions have raised themselves exactly the same time that those two players are missing. No, no. We um we often talk about spines in relation to football teams, and you know, Alderweireld and Kane are two main parts of Tottenham's spine, along with Lloris and probably Wanyama now and Dembele. And if you if you take it literally, Tottenham have got two slip discs at the minute, so they're not going to be mm. working at, at full, you know, flight. I mean, Seb's a man with enough back problems to know that you you don't feel your greatest. Yeah, mate. It's funny you should bring that up because when we were waiting for you, me and Jack were talking. Oh, I've done something to the back of uh, bottom of my back. It's because you've got a new lady so, in it, mate. It's just um, getting no, used no, to. No, no. I was. I said that to him straight away. I asked him. <laughs> No, 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 no. I, um, I, uh, I, <laughs> oh, I fucking hate you too. I really do. I, I, um, I, uh, I curse the day sometimes when Raj asked me to fill in for Jack and, and, we, and we arrived here. I, I made some very poor choices in the gym last night and, um, yeah, I'm paying for it. Um, right. So moving on to tomorrow, Leverkusen, Wembley. Um, must win. I'm, I'm going to put that down. Must win. Would must you not lose. Agree? Must not lose. Okay. Must I'd not say. lose. Raj. Uh, I'd, I'd prefer a win, but I agree with Seb. As long as we don't lose, it's not the end of the world. But I think with all home games in the Champions League, the the intention and the uh, the goal should be to win. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Benders out. There you go. That that sounds like a political statement, but it's, <laughs> but it's it's. I assure you, I'm not that problematic. Um, you, you're still wearing your Donald Trump get up. Yeah, that mate, that was spectacular. How long did it take you to? Are you um, I, that was a, a very very um very convincing wig that you found. Yeah, it's sorry, a, yeah. Although when I when I got a bit pissed and it kind of got a bit messed around on my head, it started looking a bit more like Boris Johnson, annoyingly. Um, <laughs> but, where, where, yeah. where were you out? Which part of London were you in? No, oh, just around southwest. Oh, okay. The only so place Bor- to Boris, be, like you know, you could have been in Tooting Beck looking like Boris Johnson, so it could have been worse, I guess. I was quite surprised though. I was I was surprised by the lack of us. I, I was preparing myself for a lot of. That's vile. Would you dress up as Hitler type questions, you know, like insinuating that I was somehow being triumphant wearing the oh, get up of a of an abysmal mate, man. But I didn't mate, I didn't get any of that. I didn't get any of that. Um but my, my my legitimate answer to that would have been that, you know, um Halloween is a time for dressing up as awful things and it doesn't get much more awful than him at the moment, really, does it? No, so no. Um I've seen far more problematic than that. I mean I've I've seen, you know, in terms of Halloween costumes, I've seen. Did you see that people SU bar somewhere? I can't remember which university it was recently, but at Freshers they all went and like they chained themselves up as the people who crashed at Alton Towers. So they'd all like Jesus, really? Yeah, so they'd all oh, have like fake limbs and stuff missing because they were all on the ride together. It was really distasteful. How do, how do you? How do you have a fake? I don't. I think they just Wait, had like. I, I just think they like had a blow up arm and a like here and there and like stuff oh, their their arm down the t shirt and was pretending that they'd. Wow, that's spectacularly poor taste. That yeah. Um... Is it wrong? There's a little bit of me that almost kind of Fine. appreciates that it's in such poor taste. That. <laughs> 
Yeah, yes. I was going to um, say about the Donald Trump thing. I mean, it took an awful lot of balls from you because you're not a man that's unfamiliar with being randomly beaten on the street. So <laughs> if there's anyone that would avoid sort of anything inflammatory, it would have been you. I'm, I'm double hard though, mate. So I wasn't on the <laughs> occasion when I did get my head kicked in. Um, but, yeah, people aren't going to mess with me. They're not. Cause, you, you, you're a unit, yeah. Jack. I'd say, to be fair, you know, you're, you're, you're a, you're a, you know, a but solid. I, I, th- I just think it's more my persona, though, mate. You know, they, they, they catch a whiff of me, and they're like, yeah, he's a naughty boy. He's not one to, not one yeah. to mess with. A L- little bit of you that, know? yeah, 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 yeah. With my, my puppy dog smile and my kind of, you know, fairly chirpy tone. I think yeah. people are, people are rightly, uh, rightly, rightly scared of me. Um, I hear. We haven't Halloween. really got. As, as you're probably I, I d- shocked to find out, I am against Halloween as a concept and think it's appalling and refuse to take part at any level. I go in and out of it, but I, I was, I was, I was like you for a time, Raj. But then I just sort of realised you're allowed to have fun. You know? I like having fun, but you I can enjoy mindless crap. I don't you like can. dressing up, and I don't like just yeah. It's I don't like it. I can't explain why I, I, I just don't I didn't, like it. But I can. I. It depends. It's it's hard. Like I've never enjoyed the whole like me and the lads were all gonna dress up as something, you know. But Did, Jack, didn't you? Didn't you recently when you, you you had a um? And edit this out if this is problematic. Um, you um. <laughs> you went around London you, shouting, "Grab them by the pussy." No, <laughs> didn't you? You you went on a stag do recently, and didn't you have to like go dressed as like a conga line or something yeah no but i didn't do it we just we just refused so that was it we were supposed to be, we were supposed to be a, a pub train and we were everyone was supposed to be a different a carriage and and the, the stag was going to be the front of the train and so on and so forth but yeah it was just like no i don't i don't like it, like how much effort some people put into it like you know weeks of planning to like go out and do it I, yeah it disagrees with me on a on a Sort of a on a spiritual level. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. can't, I can't quite sort of articulate why, but it, it it upsets me to a great degree. I don't think it's a proper holiday. It's not like Easter or Christmas or something. It is just a, it's a nonsense. I think uh, to to sort of yeah, I don't like it. Mm, okay, yeah, fair. Right, I'd imagine your options on Halloween are quite limited, Raj. Because I'm brown. No, because you're so cool. <laughs> You can't. Like, I mean, there's not many brown nice, characters. Nice, nice, nice sidestep there. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's just like, yeah, what, 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 what could you be? I mean, once you've done the terrorist thing, witch. once you sort of run out of options. Well, there you go, mate. I mean, you know, <laughs> there's only you, so you many could, details you, you can put on your head. You could, you could do the, um, you could do what the Mal does in uh, Four Lions. That would be, that would be, that would be, um, that would be stretching the, the the boundaries of public decency. I reckon. If you grew your um, beard out but, a bit and shaved, you kept your head shaved, you could go as Barry. And I'll, I'll, I'll wear <laughs> exactly, an upside-down yeah. claw and you can go as a, as a turtle and we can do four lions together. Oh, mate, they're just, please, yeah, I, I can, I can wet-shave the head and, and go full Barry. Yeah. yeah. What's his, what, what did he change his name to in four lions? I can't remember. I just remember the quotes. <laughs> Barry wants to bomb the mosque to make them rise up. <laughs> I can run around shaking my face and when people ask me, I can point to you and says, Barry says it makes your face go blue. Oh, God. 
Right, lads, we're rambling here. Um, let's go to <laughs> Arsenal. That's what we we're do. speaking to Mr. Zonal Marking. Michael Cox is with Raj Baines in the studio. Cut to rooster noise. Michael Cox, welcome to Rule the Roost podcast. Thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to speak to us. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Tottenham are playing Arsenal on the weekend. Um, there's no better person to speak to about that, I'm sure. Um, probably could get a manager or something on, but I'm not sure they'd want to sort of slum it with us. So you're the next best, <laughs> next best thing. Um, what what do you make of it going into it? Is it is it a fixture you look forward to? Because um, I know it's sort of there's a there's always an argument. I think four four two regularly do a piece of where they rank the best derbies in the world, and this one regularly comes sort of top ten, if not top five. Is it one that you look forward to? Yeah, definitely. I think over the past few years, it's been it's just been really entertaining. I mean, there was a period throughout the maybe late nineties where the, the North London derby was always big, but I didn't think they were ever great games. You know, they were kind of classic, almost old school London derbies. You don't really think about. London derbies these days, unless it is, you know, an Arsenal Tottenham kind of thing. But the games don't have that derby feel in a kind of aggressive sense. They've been more about really two teams trying to play open football and um, it being high tempo without being scrappy. And I mean, there's been some great games in the last few years. I think, um, you know, especially the ones at the Emirates have been a lot of goals. I remember Arsenal winning 5 2 two years in a row. Last two have been one all, but. Um, but they've been good games. You know, Tottenham have come. I think they've gone ahead both times um, and played a, a really open style of football, which is relatively rare at the Emirates. You don't find many teams coming and, and really having a go. Um, you know, even traditionally Manchester United and Chelsea over the past five or six years generally play counter-attacking football at the Emirates, um, often with great success, actually. Um, but Tottenham are one of the few sides that come and, and make it a good game. So, yeah, I'm really up for it. You, you mentioned sort of... Um the derbies of old and how they've sort of tightened and um, come closer and the, the two clubs' paths are almost, um, you know, I, I don't want to say one in the same because uh, that seems a little bit too friendly, but <laughs> they're, they're much closer than they used to be. There, there was a period, as you sort of alluded to, where there was no question that Arsenal were the much better team, um, <laughs> but those lines are, are, are far more blurry now um, and I don't mean that in the sense that Robin Thicke did. Um, it's um, it, it always does seem to be a better game because I remember I watched the Birmingham derby at the weekend and that wasn't very good. The Liverpool derby or Merseyside derby is, is always seems a bit too friendly for my liking. Yeah. Um, the the Manchester derby, especially now with Mourinho and Guardiola in charge, aren't really anything to write home about because they seem to cancel each other out. Um, this would I mean obviously biased, but this would probably be the best one in England. Um not counting probably the old firm derby. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean I thought the um I mean the most recent one was that two all at White Hart Lane when, you know, it still felt even at that point that Leicester was somehow gonna collapse and it was Tottenham and Arsenal going for the, the title almost. And it, to me that felt like the biggest North London derby that I can remember. Um and it was actually one of the best games I've I've been to, I think. Um I mean there was some you know, that Harry Kane goal Obviously, it wasn't such a big moment in the end because um, Sanchez equalised, but it was just an incredible goal. The atmosphere at White Hart Lane was exceptional that day. I think I'm right in saying it was an early Saturday kickoff, and you don't usually get um, great atmospheres on early on Saturday. Um, but that was it was just absolutely buzzing that day, and it was um, yeah, it was quite something actually. I mean, 
you know, obviously I'm not a Tottenham fan, but White Hart Lane, it's it's a kind of it always comes across as a slightly moody atmosphere. There's there's something about it that is um, the Tottenham fans always seem particularly on edge. They always seem convinced that everything is going to go wrong, and maybe rightly so sometimes. But that game, it felt like there was a real belief about Tottenham. It was the first first time I'd really experienced that at White Hart Lane. It felt like you know there was a sense that. Uh, the Tottenham were going to win the league, and even though they didn't, I think the fact that um, Pochettino has instilled that belief is one of the most important things about his management. Never mind the, you know, the, the pressing and the tactics. Never mind the fact he's brought through so many young players. But the fact that all the all the fans seem completely on board, I think, has kind of transformed the way uh, maybe non-Tottenham fans view Tottenham. We um we actually had a question on the podcast last week from someone asking if sort of being raised a Tottenham fan and, and having Tottenham uh, as part of your family is a good way to sort of approach the world. And having thought about it and and sort of sat on it for a while, it it, it was something that sort of emerged to me that, uh, as you said, that, that sort of you are expecting the worst. There is almost a natural veneer of of realism and a little bit of pessimism in there that sort of you never expect too much. You, you don't sort of have a unrealistic view of the world and it gives you a natural level of, of cynicism, I think, that is sort of appropriate to, to make your way through this world, especially the one in which we find ourselves in in, in the present day. And I think that's oddly helpful because if you look at sort of Manchester United, we, we said this last time as well, that I was born in 1992, so I didn't know any Manchester United team that wasn't, you know, winning the league year in, year out. I missed those early Fergie years where yeah. sort of it was questionable. So when he retired and they sort of, they've gone to shit slowly, uh, not to put too blunt a point on it. Um, but it must be odd for their fans, especially their fans around my age, to suddenly have to deal with being... I don't know, human and having to deal with a certain level of failure. I think that's a, an unnatural thing to have to cope with. And if we relate that back to Arsenal, obviously you with Wenger especially, you've almost had that in a in a shorter amount of time because you've had the highs of him immediately coming in and being a success and it it sort of reached the pinnacle with that invincible season, which I don't want to dwell on too much <laughs> for obvious reasons. Um and then you sort of there was a, a lull for a while when the stadium came in. Um, and now you, you're sort of slowly going back up, but the level of belief seems to be um, dinted somewhat. There seems to be a, a, a fear that's crept into the, the Arsenal psyche that perhaps wasn't there a decade ago. Yeah, I mean, I do think there is a problem when you have had a fairly consistent group of players that have consistently regarded fourth as a success, essentially. I remember Arsenal ceiling fourth place a couple of years ago, I think away at Newcastle. Um, and the players celebrated like absolute crazy. And you can kind of understand that considering the last seven or eight months they've been working towards that. And, you know, to get there in a narrow margin um, is, is inevitably going to prompt uh, celebrations. But this is maybe a bit of a cliched point, but you do think sometimes at, the, at those kind of stages, uh, Arsenal could do with a, a Tony Adams character to kind of walk around and remind the players that it is only fourth place. Um, I mean, I think, despite the fact Arsenal's finishes over the last... Well, actually, I mean, they finished second last year and third the year before, so it is getting better. But I think, you know, you compare Arsenal's starting eleven now with five years ago or so, and it's absolutely transformed. I mean, there was a season where Arsenal were really quite shambolic. There was one season where they just about got fourth place. 
um, with the likes of, uh, in fact, it was third place that year, but they had the likes of, you know, Yossi Ben-Ayun on loan from Chelsea. Rizitsky was kind of always half fit. Uh, Vermaelen was the captain. It was quite a ramshackle side. Whereas now I think there is some kind of cohesion and some kind of um, balance within the Arsenal team. It feels more like, you know, something Wenger's deliberately put together rather than just, you know, throwing stuff together and, st- and seeing, what, uh, seeing what sticks. Um, and same with Tottenham as well. You know, they're, they're obviously a very cohesive side. Um, Pochettino's assembled players because they have specific attributes and specific purposes. And yeah, it, I think it's, um, it's it should be a really good game this weekend, actually. I'm not quite sure which way it will go, um, but it should be entertaining. There's only is it three points between the two of them. So if Tottenham win, then they, they go level. And uh, if Arsenal win, then they'll probably keep pace with Manchester City. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, three points behind. Yeah. So it's. I mean, in terms of the importance and, and sort of as poised as it is, it's it couldn't sort of come at a, a better time. The early one seems to happen more often than not at the Emirates for some reason. For the past few seasons, at least, it does feel as if it's away for us first and then back at White Hart Lane towards the tail end of the season. Yeah, you're right. I think it must be five years in a row now. Yeah, That's you're right. Odd quirk. But you, you touch on the, the state of the Arsenal squad um, and there persists this sort of... Um, this character flaw of, of Arsene Wenger, at least from the the caricature that's drawn of him often in the media, that he doesn't spend any money, um, which has sort of subsided in, in recent years, obviously with the, the stadium having been fully paid off and everything is, is one thing, but um, you always have sort of, your owners always say you've got this certain bottomless pit of money to spend and he doesn't often look to spend as much of it as possible. Obviously, you write off the 30-odd million for, for Sanchez and the 40-odd million for, for Ozil, but you've still got, uh, I think you spent like 16-odd million on Callum Chambers and stuff like that, and Lucas Perez wasn't cheap either. So it's not as if he's he's sat on his hands recently and he's not spent anything because Xhaka and Mustafi as well must have been 30 each as well. Um, is that sort of is that a, an old thing to say about Wenger now? Is that a bit of an, an out of date criticism that he doesn't spend any money, or is it perhaps that he needs to spend it a bit sooner? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think maybe the problem this year was, as you say, getting um, Mustafi in so late. Um, obviously, Arsenal lost the first game of the season to Liverpool, um, and that did seem a slightly shambolic side that wasn't entirely. Um, ready for the season for whatever reason. Um, I mean, I think Wenger is... Um, yeah, I'm not sure it's a particularly appropriate criticism anymore. I think people tend to focus too much upon money. I mean, there's been a real shift over the last maybe 10 years or so to to really hyping up the, the transfer window as something almost as a kind of competition in itself. And I think what Wenger has always done is he's tried to create familiarity and consistency between players that was maybe most obvious you know in the first few years of the Emirates when he, he kind of gambled on on youth and that maybe didn't pay off as much as he wanted it to but to a certain extent over the last few years I mean there's there's great familiar, uh, familiarity between um, a lot of players in that Arsenal team there's some very good relationships in the final third um, and that doesn't come if you if you buy players every summer um, and there's certainly steps Arsenal have to take uh, or, or leaps forward they need to take uh, if they're going to win the title but I don't think they're really in terms of personnel I think it's more about the the organisation the cohesion and and playing players in the right positions I mean the big thing for Arsenal this season has been uh, using Alexis Sanchez in the centre forward role which seemed to be the intention when he was bought 
two years ago, Arsenal tried it a couple of times, didn't quite work, and it never really um, returned to a, a situation with him up front, even to the extent that he would play on the on the wing sometimes and Theo Walcott would be up front. But now he's playing up front, it's really given Arsenal a different dimension to the play. And I think, uh, to, to kind of paraphrase a, um, uh, a comment Wenger often uses, that has been like a new signing. It's been like a new centre-forward. Um, and obviously we saw last weekend with with Giroud coming off the bench, he's the ideal plan B for Arsenal. So, yeah, it's not always about signing players. It's about using the players in um, in a specific way. I mean, Pochettino hasn't, hasn't signed that many players. He's signed some players, but his, the revolution really has been about the organisation and the mentality. And I think they are really more important at times than, than however much money you spend on a new striker. Um, what is your sort of personal attitude towards um, the criticism and the attitudes that have sort sort of you know the the stereotype is that they shift week on week as as far as Arsenal fans and Arsenal Wenger are concerned because he's obviously yeah, he has done so much for the club he's, he's the main reason you're in that stadium and um, you sort of you always hear the stories of how much influence he had on the design of the stadium and even the minutia and the fact that he's he's one of few managers that actually does tend to have his his fingers in the club from top to bottom in terms of running it in the old-fashioned sense of um, managing rather than being a head coach is sort of the is the new approach, I think. Um, it seems from the outside looking in a little bit, you know, out of taste sometimes, the way in which Arsenal fans seem to want to discard him at will given how much he's done and the, the service he's given the club, especially coming from Tottenham where we've we've only just now touch wood settled on a manager who's going to be here for a little while and, and really get the opportunity to build something. Um, we've had so many false starts all the while we've watched you know Arsenal have this consistency with Arsenal Wenger. It, for, for me at least, not wanting to put words in anybody else's mouth, it, it always does doesn't seem to there doesn't seem to be a correlation particularly between the level of abuse and and sort of um and and detraction that's given towards uh, Arsene Wenger and and what he's actually done for the club yeah i mean i think um i mean i think i think things can seem quite reactionary uh on the internet in particular i mean i'm not sure that uh you know arsenal fans are as volatile as as they may seem on Arsenal fan TV or whatever. Um, you know, I think Wenger's actually improved as a manager over the last three or four years. I think there was a period where Arsenal went into big games in particular, um, like the ones I mentioned against uh, Chelsea and Manchester United, where it felt so inevitable that Arsenal would play the Arsenal way and get counter-attacked on and, and lose the game. But I think Wenger has improved in a tactical sense. I think he's become slightly more pragmatic in the way Arsenal play and I think they've returned to a certain extent towards the kind of football that they played during his first few years when Arsenal weren't really a possession side during uh, when they won the double in 97-98 there wasn't a midfield playmaker in there the playmaker was Burkamp of course but the midfield was you know Petit and Vieira had the strength Parler was about a change of pace and, and stamina and Mark Overmars was about you know pacing behind and scoring goals. It wasn't really a possession side. It was really a counter-attacking team. And I think now Arsenal have returned to um, a style where they've got the pace of the likes of Sanchez, Walcott to a certain extent. Even Ozil, I think, is, is very good on the counter-attack. And in midfield, uh, Wenger seems to have moved towards injecting some physical players in there, whether it's Coquelin or, or Xhaka's the, the new one, obviously. Even El Nenny's got a bit of strength about him. 
you don't really have the the players like Denilson, for example, who were, you know, basically a passer but deployed in the, in the defensive midfield role. So I think he has actually evolved. He has actually changed as a manager, um, and I think Arsenal, you know, did quite well last season. Obviously, to lose to to not win the title to Leicester of all teams seems kind of strange, but it was. Um, I think uh, a step forward for Arsenal. And I think they're probably making, so far, it seems they're making a step forward again. Again, I think Sanchez up front has been very different. The problem now is, of course, the fact that uh, there's just so much competition. You know, Manchester City uh, and Chelsea have improved dramatic, uh, dramatically from last season. And I think it will be really hard for Arsenal to win the league this year. Um, but I think um, this is a kind of... Uh, a guess at what Arsenal fans would think. But I think if you were to poll Arsenal fans now compared to two years ago, let's say, I think more would be in favour of Arsene Wenger. And I think it's it's worth remembering that if, you know, if in any situation you are a chairman and you're thinking about dismissing the manager, you can't really do a U-turn. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not like being a fan where you can say, oh, I don't like him this week and two months later, actually, we're, we're back on, on board with the manager. It's a big decision to ever change your manager, and especially when when it's someone who's done so much for the club like Wenger has. So, yeah, it's been a it's been a, a, a fluctuating situation in terms of Wenger's relationship with the fans. But my impression is that the majority um, are still hugely uh, still hugely admire him, and I'm not sure that the Arsenal fan base is quite as volatile as uh, social media might make it appear. Um. With sort of as we touched on earlier, with how you see um, Manchester United have struggled when their long-term manager has left them, um, what do you think the the immediate future would be for Arsenal after Wenger either decides to take a seat upstairs or um, leave the club entirely and, and have one last sort of challenge before he does go into retirement? Do you think it'll be, you know, because you've had this sort of it's not been constant success as it was for Fergie, it has been a little bit of. Um, there's been some toughness in there as well as um, the FA Cup wins recently, for example. Do you think you'll be better off? There'll be almost a, a little while to adjust, but you will be able to pick up and maybe improve with a little bit of new thinking in there and a bit of fresh blood? Or do you think there will be this uh, adjustment period as we've seen with, with Manchester United? Well, I mean, it's, it's obviously very tough to know the specifics, but I think there's a huge difference between... Um, Ferguson's attitude in the last few years, which really wasn't conducive to any kind of long-term planning or any legacy, and you know, even even down to the specifics. I mean, the signing of Van Persie, for example, was very specifically, it seems, because Ferguson wanted to win the title in that final year. Whether that was the right signing for Manchester United over three or four years is tough to say. Probably not. Whereas I think Wenger has kind of avoided that. Um, and, you know, Wenger is very much a long-termist. And whoever eventually does replace him, whether it's in two years or five years or ten years, um, will, I think, inherit a club that, to a certain extent, kind of is allowed or is, is able to tick along by itself. And I imagine they won't have the Wenger role of overseeing everything. I think uh, when Arsenal do appoint another manager... Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Probably be more of a, a kind of modern head coach role um, and everything that... Uh, that Wenger has done over the last 10 years will, I think, kind of continue to work by itself. I think there's an argument that at one stage, Wenger was almost more of a director of football than an actual manager. And I think Arsenal, for a period, were um, quite tactically naive. But again, I don't think you can say that so much anymore. So it's, um, again, it's, it's the situation has changed. I think Arsenal will be a really good job. You know, whereas following Ferguson was a really difficult job for Moyes, I think following Wenger will be quite a good job for whoever wants it because there's so much in place there that is conducive to um, to success. Who would you, if you could pick a, somebody to come in and take over, who would be your, your choice? Say Wenger decides that he's he's had enough at the end of this season, who would be the manager that you'd personally want to go after? To be honest, I have absolutely no idea at the moment because I think this is not a particularly... Uh, I mean, it's a great point in terms of how many how many managers are around, but I think the major candidates are all probably fairly settled at their clubs. Um, I, I think it's really tough to say, honestly. I, I'm not quite sure that there is an obvious option at the moment. Um, I think maybe the one thing that is maybe slightly disappointing from Wenger's point of view is that he hasn't, um, you know, brought through someone who is at the club and is is definitely in a position to take charge. I think that probably would have been the ideal. Was that the intention with Thierry Henry before he decided to go to, to Belgium? I don't think so. I could be wrong. I, I'm not sure there was ever that kind of emphasis upon blooding him to be a future manager. I think Wenger was more kind of wanted him. I mean, it's a similar, you know, it's a related thing that um, there was a period where I don't think Arsenal were particularly good at keeping former players involved at the club. I think that's changed a little bit with Omri. Obviously, he's not there, but he did come back for a bit. Steve Ball being appointed um, as assistant manager, I think, really pleased a lot of the fan base um, who remember him from the 90s as a very solid centre-back. I think the interesting one is is, is obviously not at the club anymore, but uh, I think Mikel Arteta is definitely a future manager somewhere. Isn't he Guardiola's assistant now? He is. He's gone to Manchester City now. Um, and I'm not sure that was. I mean, he really, he really liked Arsenal. I think, and I don't think he was so much a snub to Arsenal. I think it was just the opportunity to work under Guardiola in a relatively senior position was, um, you know, too good to turn down. Especially as Guardiola specifically wanted someone who knew his style of football, but also had great experience in the Premier League. So I, I think that was unfortunate. Arsenal lost him, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if Arteta was to return to Arsenal at some point in the future. Um, I, I certainly think he'll become a manager probably in the Premier League and um, and Arsenal still have links with him. It, it would probably be too soon for him to take a, a big job like Arsenal in the next couple of years, but five or six years' time maybe, I wouldn't be surprised to see Arteta back at the Emirates. Even though he's a, a massive Spurs fan, um, Dennis Bergkamp's an assistant <laughs> at Ajax. 
Um, he, he could be a shout if you were sort of looking to go down the Ryan Gig sort of route um, of bringing yeah. in a, a familiar face. I mean, I thought a lot of things. Obviously, it's um, it's funny to be saying this at the moment because he's been sacked as inter manager. But I thought Frank de Boer made a lot of sense for Arsenal in many ways. Similar style of football, Ajax um, track record of success, brought through lots of young players, and obviously Dennis Bergkamp was the assistant manager, and indeed Mark Overmars was uh, general manager or something like that. Maybe that won't happen now. He's had a disappointing experience with Inter. But then again, Dennis Bergkamp had a disappointing experience with Inter and came to Arsenal. So maybe that would be some kind of inter-reject dream team with Dubois and Bergkamp. But, uh, I mean, honestly, I don't know. It's, uh, my my uh, inclination at the moment is to think that Wenger probably will be around for next year and might sign another two or, year th- uh, two or three-year contract. So, you know, things change so fast these days. It's difficult to imagine, um, you know, what the situation will be like in, in two or three years' time. I remember... Um, you know, trying to look back and find all the managers who at one point were the favourite to, uh, to succeed Sir Alex Ferguson. Then you had names like Martin O'Neill and David O'Leary and, you know, people you'd never have uh, actually had even in the top 50 favourites when Ferguson did actually resign. So I think, you know, predicting the future is, is impossible in that respect. I'm surprised nobody's second a, a gamble on Koku yet because um, he's yeah. done well at, at PSV. But um, if we move on from, from that particular topic and, and talk about Tottenham for a minute, um, where we sort of, we did really well for a couple of years under the red nap, but if you ask me, that was more to do with the fact that we had Gareth Bale, Luka Modric and Rafael van der Vaart with, you know, Ledley King behind them um, than, than particularly the management style that was there because I think anyone can put those players on the pitch together and, and have them work well, uh, to be brutally honest about it. Um, and then we had sort of a false start under AVB, especially with Bale uh, being sold. I don't think that was avoidable whatsoever. And then the the period which we, we, we don't talk about under Tim Sherwood, um, <laughs> if there was sort of a... In an eternal spotless sunshine machine capable of erasing that period from my mind, I would happily pay to do so. Um, but that all all roads led to Pochettino and and what he's done with the club and and as you said earlier, it's it's not just bringing in new players and and sort of the the scouting that had changed with um, the the bloke with the black box coming in. I can't remember his name now. He's he's left the club now. I think um, after the summer. Um, but the the youth players that he's brought through, which you know you can see throughout the squad already, and um, just the attitude change and the the complete reversal in in what Tottenham are perceived to be. Because uh, all the way growing up and and even a few years ago, Tottenham were seen as a side that that wanted to play an attractive style of football. Didn't always have the players to do so, but but always had designs on on sort of playing the game the right way, so to speak. Um, but had a bit of a soft centre and, and could be got at. And I think the, the 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 point that proved all that was when Fergie wrote his book and said, you know, 3-0 down at White Hart Lane, all he told his players was, lads, it's Tottenham. And they, they proceeded to turn them over, which sort of tells you all you need to do, know about perhaps what, what the mentality was at Spurs before then. Um, but now they're, they're a little bit dirtier, which I like. They're... Um, They've got a much tougher call. The defence is fantastic. We've only just conceded our, our first goal from open play at the weekend against Leicester. Um, 
and it's it's a completely different side in terms of mentality and, and makeup um for you you know a, approaching this as a as an opposition looking to play Tottenham how do you sort of approach that style of play how do you try and counteract Pochettino's press how do you try and get at the defense and get past Hugo Lloris what do you think that's a fear for for clubs now because we we saw Guardiola struggle with it when he came to White Hart Lane so it's mm. it's not as if um it's something that's that's too easily gotten around yeah, I mean, I'm not sure anyone's completely found um, the solution yet. Well, they certainly haven't, because Tottenham are the only unbeaten side in the league, so no one's been able to um, show you how you how you play against this season's Tottenham side. I think, uh, obviously, the pressing is, is probably the main feature of Tottenham. I think going, going long in the opening stages and trying to turn Tottenham and not letting them be successful with that press is very important. And it'll be interesting to see if Arsenal try and do that, probably with... Sanchez up front, um, he's very good on the shoulder of the last defender. He doesn't always like playing that way. He wants to come towards uh, come, come towards playing, get the ball between the lines, but he's actually very good at going in behind. So I wouldn't be surprised if Arsenal play more direct than we've, uh, we've been accustomed to um, so far this season. I mean, I think the one thing to say about Tottenham is, you know, it's obvious by the fact that they've, um, they've drawn the last three games, but they haven't quite found the attacking cohesion this season. I mean, whether that's to do with uh, Kane's absence. I mean, Janssen's done okay. I think his movement's very good. Obviously, he hasn't really provided the finishing touch in open play so far. But Tottenham haven't quite clicked in the final third, and I think that's maybe what you've got to be. Um, you've got to bear in mind as an opposition side. You might find yourself under pressure, but Tottenham haven't so far been able to turn that into goals. And so far, they are giving teams um, almost a get out of jail free card in the sense that they're not scoring goals. So I think that is. Um, that's Tottenham's major weakness at the moment and it might play into Arsenal's hands that they're able to withstand pressure which I think Arsenal are better at doing than they were five years ago and then you know after 20 or 30 minutes when the pressing drops even City when they lost at um, White Hart Lane I thought played very well at points um, in the start of the second half so maybe you have to be a little bit patient against Tottenham but um, yeah no one's found the the magic solution yet Um, Last time that Arsenal played a team that sort of had a a similar intent as as Tottenham do was against that Liverpool team, um, who are doing very well under Klopp this season, who sort of blitzed you in that that short amount of, of time um, and scored all those goals. Is is that a worry that perhaps this style of football that that Tottenham plays is the exact type of football that Arsenal aren't comfortable with dealing with? I'm not convinced by that, actually. I, I mean, I think the problem with Liverpool really was that Arsenal just didn't seem prepared. I'm not sure whether that was physically or, you know, there wasn't any signings or whatever, but it wasn't quite in place. I mean, really, over the last few years, Arsenal have really struggled against teams who play very deep and, and sit on the edge of their own box. And I think it does suit Arsenal's players um, if it is a high-tempo game, if there is space in behind. Um, I think, the, the, broadly speaking, you know, you, it's always going to be tough to play against a team who pressures you high up the pitch. But I think that's really what Arsenal want. I think they want to have to play at a high tempo. They're not very good at actually lifting the pace of games, I find, Arsenal. If the team sit back um, on the edge of their own box, the passing can be really slow and very predictable. Whereas if there is a little bit of midfield pressure, there's players there, um, particularly Cazorla, I don't know if he's going to play at the weekend. But uh, there's players there who can play around that and... And really get Arsenal to um, to play high tempo football, which I think is when they're at their best. So I mean, you know, 
it, it's not going to be easy for Arsenal because the, the pressure is so hard to play against. But I think it's broadly the type of game that that Arsenal want. I think Arsenal and Tottenham want to play a similar kind of game. Um, so that's partly why both teams should be ensuring that it's an entertaining game. One of the, the subplots going into this, and one I've seen quite a lot from um, from publications just sort of doing a, 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 and you know, you can almost imagine the meeting that's led to the piece being put out, but Arsenal have got this notoriously bad record in November for some reason. Um, yeah. Is that something that, that plays on fans' minds at all? Is it sort of, do they wish this had been a, a few weeks earlier or, you know, first week <laughs> of December or something like that? Is there a mental block when it comes to November? I mean, I, I think it probably is something that plays on the fans' minds. I mean, it's been obvious for almost since the start of Wenger. I mean, even 97-98 when Arsenal won the double, I think they lost to Derby and, and maybe got another couple of bad results in that season. I mean, it is certainly something that, that plays on the fans' mind. I expect the match-going fans who kind of noticed themselves being particularly depressed on long long train journeys back and that kind of thing in November. Um, what, I, I can't imagine that translates to the players, though. I, I don't think there's that kind of culture at the club, or, you know, at any club, really, unless it's a really specific thing. Um, you know, Benfica having a really bad record in finals, for example, is famously an example of that. Um, but I can't imagine that Arsenal's players know much about this November thing. I think if you were to ask Ozil and, and Sanchez what they thought about Arsenal's November curse, you'd probably get to rather blank expressions. So I can't imagine it will translate to um, to, to what happens on the pitch, to be honest. But it is a, a weird statistical quirk. Yeah, I mean, Tottenham have got that sort of towards the end of the season where they seem to run out of steam, which is a, a worry with, with Pochettino sides and something that we've seen previously with managers of a, a similar intensity in uh, Bielsa, for example, one that Pochettino learned from. Um but going into this game, have you, have you got any idea of a, of a score prediction or, or how it will go? Do you think it'll be another Tottenham draw, another draw that seems to have happened in this um, fixture quite a lot recently? Or will it be a bit more open than that? I think it will be... I mean, I, I'd probably go for one all. I get the feeling it's going to be an entertaining game and a high-energy game. But I'm not particularly convinced that Tottenham will get the better of Arsenal's defence. Um, again, it depends who they play up front. But I think that... Um, Koscielny and Mustafi have been very secure so far this season. I think if they're up against Janssen, um, you'd probably fancy them to do okay. Maybe Son might cause more problems if he's up front. And at the other end, you know, as much as I've, I've banged on about Sanchez being very good up front, I think Tottenham's defence is just so well organised. I mean, five goals conceded in ten games um, speaks volumes, and I think Arsenal will find it difficult to create constant chances. So, I mean, I think... I think there'll be goals in the game, but I can't imagine it being a, a real thriller. Um, so, yeah, something like one all, which I think, off the top of my head, I think it's been one all the last two seasons at Arsenal. Um, so I wouldn't bet against it being that way again. Yeah, I think Chadley scored one year, and then yes. Kane scored the other year from a, a long ball down by Danny Rhodes. Yes, I, I thought the Chadley goal was really interesting, actually, because that was, might be wrong, but I think that was the first time Tottenham had really obviously scored a goal that was from their pressing. I think Eriksen maybe or Lamella pressed uh, Flamini, who is yeah. obviously no longer around. Uh, well, he's still around. He's not dead. <laughs> he's, at, he's at Palace, but he's not dead. Um, so, yeah, they've been, I think, really interesting goals. Even the Kane goal last year was interesting, just how quickly Tottenham turned Arsenal's defence and uh, and went went into the lead. And then that game was... I thought Petr Cech was really poor for that Harry Kane goal. 
because there was yes. only one place he was going to put that ball and Petr yeah. went to the opposite corner. Yeah, I think you're right. And then that game was interesting because, um, you know, Tottenham having really dominated the first half, I remember thinking, you know, this is one of the most impressive team performances I've seen in the Premier League for two or three seasons by half time. And then because of the pressing, there was a massive dip in the second half, I think. Uh, it kept on being chances from corners. I think maybe Murta Zakar or... Uh, Koscielny maybe had some chances and then Kieran Gibbs came on and was suddenly a rampant attacking force which no one had ever seen before and got the equaliser yeah he played him left wing rather than left back didn't he yeah there was a period where that kept happening for some reason I think that's the only time he actually had a really good attacking impact from there but it showed you know the um, the strengths and weaknesses of the heavy pressing and I think maybe um, maybe Tottenham will be a little bit more reserved in how they go about the first 20 minutes after having um, really collapsed and, and could have lost the game last year, having been so dominant before half-time. The uh, the last question I want to ask you, Michael, um, with your sort of your neutral hat on um, as, a, as a journalist and whatnot, um, if you had to put a, a tenor on either Tottenham or Arsenal, which one will win the league soonest <laughs> of the two? Which one do you think is, is better prepared to do so? That's a good question. I, I think I'd still go for Arsenal. I think they've got. Um, I think you're letting your bias come in there. I think I think they've got a, <laughs> a slightly stronger squad. Um, I, I do I do worry about Tottenham. I thought last year I thought they were the best team in the Premier League, and I mean that the team in the real sense of the word team. Leicester were fantastic, obviously, most remarkable achievement I've I've seen in in English football. But they were also very dependent on certain individuals, and I think what Tottenham was was uh, were brilliant at was um just being so good as a unit you know that the pressing was just unlike anything i've seen in the premier league um but i think it's slightly tough to take steps forward in terms of individuals when you've got such a um such a really cohesive unit and i think it's tottenham's progress is really going to be about how much improvement there will be from the likes of kane ali dyer um, all key players, all very young players. But I think sometimes in football, people assume that if a player's, you know, 8 out of 10 when he's 22, that he's definitely going to improve by the time he's 28. Actually, these days, especially with players who are based around dynamic running, sometimes players peak at 22, 23. I'm certainly not suggesting that, uh, you know, Harry Kane's past his best, but it's difficult to know whether they're going to improve. And I think the improvement... You only have to look at Jack Wilshere, really. Well, I mean, yeah, there's many examples of that. I mean, there was a point where it seemed Wilshire was going to be Arsenal's leader and obviously is now out um, on loan at Bournemouth and, you know, God knows whether he has an Arsenal feature or not. There's lots of players in his position. I think you could even argue um, Cesc Fabregas's best seasons were, were very early in his career. Um, I think the physical demands of, of players in the modern age means that sometimes they, they get burnt out very quickly. Um, and obviously you hope that doesn't happen at Tottenham, but with such a high energy system, um, it, it's tough to, it's really tough to know the level of improvement. So, yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've been really impressed with Pochettino at Tottenham. I think it's been remarkable, but uh, it, it's maybe tough to see how Tottenham will immediately improve. Um, so, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Perfect. Thank you very much for your time, Michael. I'll let you get on. Pleasure. Thanks very much. Cheers, Michael. Thank you very much. Um, well, this is the big one, lads. Um, 
I don't, to be honest, I think it, it, I know it's a bit cliche, it's a bit proper football man and all that kind of thing, but I don't really want to go into it too much because I found that every other time we've played them in the sort of past few years, the game has been a bit of a cup final for both sides. Sort of, for, I know, it, I know it's those silly lines and stuff, but form does tend to go out the window a bit and the game's very hard to read. So, I mean, they look very good. We look all right. I don't think it is, as, as you were saying at the start, it, I don't think it's as doom and gloom as a lot of people are making out. Um, the one thing that surprised me after that game is when I looked at table, I didn't realise we were only three points behind top yeah. of the table. I mean, I thought we were like, I thought we'd have dropped like five or six points back and there'd have been a bit of a gap. I mean, I'd, I think it's sort of surprised. Yeah, it's been skewed a bit because like, I guess, you know, going forwards creatively, we're not, we're not looking that good. It's looking a bit, do you know, I, I think the main thing I'm, I'm noticing at the moment, everything feels a little too rehearsed. There, there doesn't seem to be much flair in what we're doing. It feels a little bit, dare I say, AVB. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying that that's kind of, this is a, you know, a systematic failing by Pochettino. Um, but I just, I just feel that the, the players maybe need to just up their own kind of intensity levels a bit and try and incorporate a bit more flair back into it as we saw at times last year. Um, but if we do jump in some of the questions that link into the Arsenal game, so we're not kind of doubling up on anything, um, Tweetman at Walker0104 says, are we due a pasting by a side and is it going to be unbearable if it happens on Sunday? Well, the second... Are we due a pasting? Yeah, I mean, well, the second... Serious? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the second part, yeah, of course it would be unbearable if it happens on Sunday, but I'm, I, I, I don't feel we've really looked like we're still not I mean, solid we've defensively. We've had some sloppiness and, like... A few mistakes and a few problems between the Dyer and the and the Vertonghen axis, but we're not like you know. I mean, like we, we and, and yes, we, we've relied on, on a couple of like really really good Larice saves, but I, no, I, I don't I don't see that. I think uh, one thing is you touch on it um, sort of there while you just mentioned his name. Basically, uh, I think Vertonghen's really stepped up in Alder Warrell's absence. So yeah, I think he really has. Yeah, me too. Yeah, he's he's looking like the Vertonghen we bought originally again. I think personally, I think maybe being alongside Alderweireld has done him the world of good, which you can imagine it has done. But yeah, he looks very fucking good. Um, are you uh, are you confident, Raj? How, how are you feeling about it? I think we'll draw. I think um, yeah. it'll cancel each other out. I think it'll be quite open, uh, but I think we'll, it'll be a score draw. Yeah, fair, fair. Um, Let's see another question we got here. Chris Miller, you might have heard of him. Windy Coys, some something or other. I don't know. He does. I think it's another podcast or something. Um, ten games in, top three players for us so far. Who are your top three so far, Raj? Um, Walker, Wanyama, Lurries, in any order. Okay, Seb. Uh, Lurries. Wanyama. I, to be honest, I can't really split Walker and Son, but one or the other. I'll say. I mean, I, uh, I, I, I mean, give it another week and another nothing performance from Son, I might change my mind and just put Walker in there. But um, you can't really ignore his statistical contribution and the goals he scored, and you know what they've meant. I think he's um, accidental, Kaylee. There, mate. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, mate, because... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm not allowed to do that. I don't like so it when you do it. I don't like it when you have in-jokes without me. No, it's not an in-joke. It's just a, you know, a man that likes stats online. Oh, right. That's okay. all. Am I allowed to make fun of that, Sabra? Well, you've gone very yeah, quiet. Yeah, man, I definitely... Sabra's like a half... It's horrible. It's just it's a man Right, that... right. He's the one that draws... Yeah. He's the one after games that does, um, you know, the pictures with the, 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 the little expected goals. Oh, the Matrix and... guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That oh, one. right, right. Um, up to speed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, fair enough. Uh I I, I yeah, Larice Older Wyrell Wanyama, I think I'll say that. I'll get those. Older Wyrell's been injured for fucking weeks. What are you doing? Yeah, but he's still Yeah, but good. he was ex I mean so he was excellent up until you know you know, until he got injured at West Brom. And he was excellent in that game until he got injured. So fair enough. He's just immense. Um Let's have a look. Left on the shelf at lots eighteen eighty two asks us, "What do you choose? Spurs win on Sunday and Trump wins. Arsenal win on Sunday and Clinton wins. I'm going with Spurs, mate. Fuck. Yeah, mate. Spurs yeah, definitely. Couldn't Spurs. care less. Yeah, Spurs first. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, well, I could. We I could win. Care less, I, I'll, if we win, I'll have the heart to deal with the Trump thing. You know. And also, you know, America, isn't it? Mate, you know our checkered past of American listeners. Don't. Well, I don't. I don't, I don't have a check. Raj has to check. Well, past. mate, you're you're contributing to it now. I'm sorry, I'm not going to let you just palm that one off onto Raj. There. <laughs> okay, I went. To, I went on my peace envoy trip in the summer and made amends with America. Yeah, even mate, went and to then, the then, south. And then they locked you in a detention center. <laughs> look so, right. You know. I look good in orange. What can I say? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, so do I actually if you saw my Trump you costume <laughs> yeah. um, did you put fake tan on? no I just put literally I found a, a, a little makeup kit to paint yourself as a pumpkin and I, it, that is literally just <laughs> it was like an orange like bright orange foundation but it was genuinely his skin tone so you know. it was actually it was a very very good Trump you know what the underrated part of that was, was the facial expressions you nailed those. Mate, come on, I'm a, I'm a professional, you know. You are the only thing that I would have liked to have seen is if Charlotte had gone as Hillary or or maybe Melania. She wasn't going to do that, though. I'm not, I can't. It would have been fun. She yeah. could have put, like, a pantsuit on. Hillary's easy to do. Yeah. I think Charlotte seems to have a bit more uh, invention. <laughs> or you say, so you're saying I wasn't inventive, so is that is that what you're trying to say? I, I think you're very inventive, mate. But like, yeah. I think I think your uh, I think your girlfriend trumped you on uh, on on Halloween. Right, I like what you did there. It's quite clever what I did there. It was. You, it was. Yeah. It was all right. Halloween shit anyway, so none of it matters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Duke Silver <laughs> coins. Raj, do you have a, a Halloween based like scar in, in your past somewhere no it's something just bad happened shit. on halloween <laughs> it's just dog shit, that it makes you hate it i never did it as a kid i, did, I don't do it as an adult i've never really been was it that halloween. you weren't allowed to do it as a kid and so no i was forced to do it as a kid i remember one year um when i didn't have a costume or anything like that me and my mum made a um we got glow in the dark stickers and a black bin liner and we put a head hole through it and two armholes and stuck glow in the dark stickers on it and i went out trick-or-treating like that because she forced me to do it, and I didn't want to do it. So it's been a lifelong hatred. So there's hatred. the trauma, basically. <laughs> no, it, no, okay. that was fine. I just, okay. I just don't like Halloween. 
right. I've, I've done all sorts. I had the Batman costume as a kid that I was too big for because I was a children's size one and I was never the size of a child. Right, that's it, that's it. That, I think we found it there, so it's, that's that, that Batman. That's why he doesn't like the Batman films as well. I love yeah. the Batman films. The The new ones are dog shit. The Christopher Nolan ones are uh, the standard bearers of the genre. Hmm. I don't know. I quite like the Michael Michael Keaton one, the old Tim Burton one. No, I hate those. They're all horrible. Nah, they're good. The, the one with Joker is great. Jack Nicholson, brilliant. No, I never, I never like those. Although the comic that that's based on is probably the best Batman comic, The Killing Joke. Um, so if anyone wants to read something good, they should read that. Duke Silvercoys at the real tack. 15 says is it imperative to get another creative option in the january window and then his second part to the question is should we be concerned with potch leaving well not really i don't think but let's uh on the on the first one the creative option in the january window uh i'd rather see harry winks get a little bit of a chance yeah i'd, I'd quite like to see GKN get more of a chance well. Yeah, it's yeah, not what yeah, we touched on actually in our Leicester part, but we, we, I don't know, we instantly looked quite a bit more menacing when he came on. I think the lads. He really like annoyed him. me against Liverpool, like to the point where he had a bit I, of a like, shocker. It, no, it wasn't that. It was the fact that he had a fullback there and he didn't run at him once. He just carried the ball and he was quite clearly the fastest man on the park. And if you're blessed with natural speed, just fucking run and take him on. And he didn't do it once and. I'm surprised Pochettino didn't have a rocket at him and tell him to take him on because he didn't try it once. He'd, he'd do sort of a, a two-yard sideways scurry like a crab and then step inside. And it's like, that's, that's not what we want, mate. Go direct. And I don't mean to be a bit redknapp and run about or, you know, put your heels I on the touchline. No, I think that's a fair criticism. I, I just wanted, wanted to, to square British... markers and, and carry the ball into because yeah, that, that seemed to scare people a lot. Yeah, exactly. He's got that sort of speed where he'll get a reputation for himself and fullbacks will start second and guessing themselves. And if he does want to come inside, that's fine. But if you give it a bit of variation, then they won't know what you're doing because I, I can't remember who... Was it, it was the young lad who was playing fullback against them as well. He seemed to cotton on to what he was doing. So his effectiveness coming inside was blunted. Uh, but had he even once or twice taken him down the touchline he'd have had something to think about and the fullback wouldn't have had such an easy day. It was it was one of those where I wanted to properly ring his head afterwards. Ring his neck, mate. No, ring his head, mate, with back of my hand. Oh, okay. I haven't heard that before. It's a northern thing. I think it's just violence, to be honest. <laughs> Mindless <laughs> violence. Uh, I took the, that, that took me by surprise a bit, right? So I'm going to be honest. No, he, just, he was he a bit really frustrated, got under but I do think, you know, he's, he is very young. Mate, he's not so young that he doesn't know how to run. Yeah, but, you know... You've just gone off on Vincent Janssen. I suppose so, but there's, I don't know, there wasn't really much at all from any of us against Liverpool, I didn't, I didn't feel, but I don't know, I can't really I thought Onoma was good. One. I thought Onoma was good against Liverpool. Um... Uh, yeah, but I, I really like him. I, I, he got loads of pelters after that game as well, which I could not begin to understand. I think he's a yeah, really a promising of, player, Onuma. I get I whenever I praise players like that who are sort of creative, but aren't creative in sort of the Gareth Bale 
blunt 30 yarders type of a creation. This, but this is of... it, right? People have this measure, don't they, of a player. Like, how many times has he scored? How many, like, shots has he tried from however many yards? And if they're not doing that, they're not worth anything. It's it's well, bizarre. Yeah. It's the nuance of the game that some people don't tend to understand and then they'll tweet you and go, I just don't get what he does. And it's because you're not, you're not watching what he's actually doing. You're expecting him to do something that isn't within his game at present and may never be, may be a completely different type of player. But if you actually look at what he contributes in terms of, you know, plays that he's pulling out of position, plays that he's playing in, his appreciation for space and always, you know, collecting the ball in space and his decision-making is something that's beyond his years for me because he, he very rarely sort of gives the ball away needlessly. It's only if he ever gambles in position that he does so. People forget that he, he was born in 1997. He's 19 years old. He's not going to be the finished article. He's he, For him to be as good as he is now and sort of show the the level of competence that he does is, is outstanding. Oh, mate, I totally agree. I'm really glad you feel that way, mate. Like, I totally agree. Like Every time I've watched Josh Onuma play, I've always felt like... This this lad is great, and he's he's not a match of the day player, but he's fucking good. He's solid. He's so talented. It seems to be, yeah. um, and I think and I think once it once he stops puberty in a couple of years as well, and can fill out a little bit more, I'd be more than comfortable to sort of start him playing him more centrally. And if there's anyone that we could train to almost be a Dembele type player, I think he yeah, has the skill set. Completely, he just needs the, the size. That throne. He honestly, is he just a, needs the size. Yeah, 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 totally. Baby Dembele, like he's, I think he's good. I, I think he can. I know it sounds OTT, but I think he can be better than Dembele as well. I do. I think he can be as long as he gets trained properly and sort of doesn't get too distracted or downhearted by people that are expecting him to be a player he isn't. He'll be absolutely fine. Yeah, he's a great player. I'm a big fan of his. Um, let's just see. I'm just trying to see if we've got any other questions that are remotely not bantery or anything but it doesn't seem like we do um okay okay here we here we go then this this one james robbins at james underscore thfc i'll put this one to you first seb um any ideas of how to fix our impotent attack and not just bringing kane back uh my idea try lamella as a number 10 uh yeah, well, the thing about that is that I, I don't I don't have a problem with Lamella playing as a number ten, but you do that, you you probably take away the security ads down the right side, um, so that that kind of creates another problem. Um, you, I, I I know it's cop out, but you know the way to fix our attack is to bring Harry Kane back in, um, because the the only options we have like Son Son's form Son's form has evaporated, um. Janssen, as we discussed in the in the first half, not quite ready to play that role, and we don't have another player who can who can operate as as a nine. So it's you know you 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 have two two, two options. I mean, you either you either stick with Janssen until Kane's fit, or you bring Kane fit, Kane back in as soon as he's he's available again. Um, I don't I don't see a third really. Um, Lamella. I, the thing about Lamella is that I don't I don't think he looks very comfortable in a static position. So if you want him to play centrally, what you're going to have to prepare for is is for him to d- to drift on you know into all sort of three quadrants of the pitch, um, and 
I don't know. I, I don't. I don't. I don't think that that really really suits what we're trying to do. I mean, he he seems to operate best when he has some pretty strict instructions, and, and you know when he's uh, when he can adhere to those. So I don't know. Roving playmaker Eric Lamella. I'm, I'm not sure. Any uh, any takes from you, Rajto? Um, I would. I'd like to see sort of the the team from the the front four from last season given a chance. So. Um, like pushing Delhi higher, uh, Lamella and Ericsson behind Kane, because that's where the most of our success came from last season. We haven't really fielded that team as much this year because Stone's form has been good and because we've been introducing new players like Sissoko and because we had Delhi playing deeper before and stuff like that and we came to be missing. So I think if we're, we're allowed to settle back into what the best team was and then once they're settled they can um, start to sort of experiment from there, from a good base, then I think we'll be better off. But the fact that we've the fact that we've been forced into making changes rather than making changes in our own time, I think is half the problem. Um, which is obviously something you've got to got to be aware of and got to prepare for and that's where you've got to squad and injuries happen in a contact sport. But um I'd, I'd you know, I'd rather it have happened when we wanted it to rather than being forced into doing it. Yeah, um, I certainly don't think that is that's a kind of right. Let's give this a try in the North London derby. I I, I don't think that's the fixture to start. You know, um, having a bit of a play. But maybe out, it is. So maybe it is. It's happened. It's worked before. Yeah, but, yeah, but the is thing that is when Show like, put Chadley as a defensive midfielder. <laughs> yeah, and then and Carl Walker as a number ten. Um, I I yeah, but the thing is, like Pochettino, I know I may be eating these words come the end of Sunday, but. Pochettino understands how to negate a lot of that Arsenal team, how to restrict lots of parts of it. And think of sort of how little influence um, some of their better players have had against us. So was that a funny little like, stomach noise that just happened there? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm extremely hungry. Yeah, I just had a little my, noise. Yeah, my stomach is, uh, is urging me to, to get on the delivery website. What are you going to have? I don't know, mate. It's just a world of options, you know. Come on, what are you, what are you feeling like? What are you feeling like tonight? <sighs> I might go... I'm feeling cow. Cow? I, I quite like cow. Yeah, it's like sort of the um, the little brother to... Um, uh, oh, right. I thought that was called? just a weird way of saying you wanted something with beef in it. I didn't realise. Yeah, that's what I thought. No, 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 as in it's, um, it's, uh, it's the little brother of gaucho, basically. Oh, fair. Um, cow, it's like a sort of cafe alternative. Um, I think we've got a gaucho in Leeds, a steak place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's Argentinian, like isn't it? It is, yeah. Very nice, very nice food. Um, very satisfying. Got a bit of work to do. It's Champions League night. I need some sustenance. So, vamos. That might be it. Vamos, yeah. cow. Mm hmm. That'd be good. Um, well. I think we've done all our listener questions. Um, we've spoken to Michael Cox. We've spoken at length to one another. I think it's time we just we kill it and hope for the best. We... Are we not going to talk about TV or anything? I haven't really watched any this week, mate. I've been quite busy. Fair enough. Yeah. Oh, you sound really sad. Don't sound that sad. We'll do, no, I'll, I'll make I... sure to watch some and then we can... We haven't even talked about Bake Off leaving. Candice, oh, no, come off. on, you Candice. No. She's, she's a Spurs fan as well. 
Is she? Yeah, yeah, I suppose, like, people were trawling through her account and there were tweets from, like, you know, however many months pre-Bake Off, essentially, with her throwing out her coys and all that sort of stuff here and there, so good on her. Happy days. Yeah. Oh, yes, but I've just gone on her Twitter and Tottenham have already followed her. Tottenham are thirsty. Yeah, they don't follow me, fucking bastards. And they've never, even, they've never replied. I, I, I've either been muted by them or I'm on a shit list. Uh, <laughs> a do not, a do not reply. And I see it, it's, it's bollocks, man. I see them. They reply to Billy T. They reply to Nick Hill. They reply even prior to fucking bankrupt Spurs. They replied to one guy. They fucking got a question answered from I think it was Aldo Wireld or Pochettino by some guy who'd been giving the fucking Tottenham Trust a load of shit that week. You know, I just think how long does it take to audit these accounts? But me, you know, banter elephant, I'm not even that bad. I don't do racist jokes. I don't do any of that fucking shit. I'm not a Ched Evans apologist. And still, they don't reply to me ever. I've never had any. Even when they put out those fucking training pictures and they're like, send us a nap. What picture would you like to see? And I'll send in something banterous like, you know, can you find a picture of Danny Rose smiling? And I think that's P. That's P. G enough. They'll like that. They'll be able to find something. That'll get some banter. No, nothing. They fuck me right off. Never speak I to me. I love how they, they they genuinely do fuck you right off as well. This isn't Bastards. even an act. Absolute I can, I can hear it in your I'm voice. I'm not even that horrible to them anymore. You know, all I want is a little bit of attention. Fuck it. That's why everyone's on Twitter. Anyway, all this shit about <laughs> me being some fucking self-indulgent podcaster. Yeah, so what if I fucking am? All you fucking twats on Twitter, you're all the same. Every single person uses that fucking platform for a bit of validation, for a bit of fucking ego stroking, because no one wants to face the fact that we're all fucking worm food, that we're all going to disappear one day into the abyss, into the void, and nothing, and the universe itself is going to collapse in on itself, and nothing means anything that's why we use fucking twitter to distract ourselves from that it's either twitter or fucking comfort eating that's what it is for me most of the time it's both of them right so don't fucking give me this shit Tottenham. just fucking reply to me fucking reply to me you bastards um but it doesn't yeah it doesn't get to me that much so that came out of nowhere, wow. didn't it? yeah that's been stored up somewhere for quite a long time yeah, yeah. Well, I, to be honest, if they reply to bankrupt and not you, then that is uh, that's a bit out of order because bankrupt, I imagine, has has driven social media executives into different industries <laughs> um, in the past. He's good at it. He is very good at it. Yeah. Maybe I'm too sweary. Yeah. Maybe it's the elephant thing that freaks me out. But you said you said you had reservations about me at first because of the elephant thing, didn't you? So you found it a bit scary. Coming from a fucking owl. I know, I know. No, exactly no, no, right. no, I've, no I've never had reservations. <laughs> I, I liked it. The, the you, first you encounter I had with you. Were like, there's some. There, there was. You had something. Did we have beef in the past or something? I can't remember what it is. No, no, absolutely not. I, I no, 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 no. I've never had reservations about the elephant. <laughs> you did. I'm pretty I've never, sure I'm, ever. I have never questioned the elephant the entire, ever. All the roost back catalogue now to find it. I'm pretty sure you said you just found it a bit weird or something. I've never said anything of the sort. Seb, you'd ever. still be an owl if it wasn't for me and Jack. Yeah, that's it. Just remember that. We made you, Seb. We, we forced yeah, you okay. into putting a selfie on. We made you change your uh, your careers down to us too. So that, you know, remind yourself of that every now. I was and having then. a I was into, for a bit of a, a self pat on the back here. I was. I was sort of going through 
smiled tweets the other day trying to find one of my old the old vines when they were killing vine i thought oh, i'll get a few last retweets out of that old brendan rogers only fools and horses one and as i was searching through all my old stuff i found my <laughs> picture that i did of you on the training ground with redknapp and sherwood <laughs> said, with, the, with the ssb <laughs> with the initials yeah, yeah. Suit on. I was quite happy. Still to this one. day, the only the only tweets we've the RTR account has ever liked are all photoshops of Seb. <laughs> <laughs> if you go and look on our Twitter account, every single one of them is a photoshop of Seb. The uh, the Arctic Monkeys album cover was pretty good as well, actually. Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah. That's that's what started it. Yeah. Well, because that was I think that was your idea on the pod, was it? You said his selfie looks like the cover of yeah, yeah that, that, and then I sort of mocked it up. But it's uh, it's quite good though. I think they're all. I liked. I think it was Tim, wasn't it? Tim Abel that did the one of Seb getting the dildo in the air from <laughs> Light and Sky Sports as well. Was it from Which Sol was, Campbell? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Essentially, um, listeners, if you want us to like one of your tweets, Photoshop Seb <laughs> into it. Yeah. Did you 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 didn't react very kindly to my to my Gatsby? gif i did of you it took me a long time as well oh mate time, so. no i i love the gatsby i i may i retweeted the gatsby did you yeah i, it, I was i was full of admiration for you, it. you said oh for fuck's sake or something i don't know well i did in public mate but you know oh, that's good i have to I have, I have to pretend that it annoys me okay. oh there's a photoshop of seb on trump's face i forgot about that is there <laughs> yeah yeah oh, there's seen yeah. that one with his hair as well it's quite funny oh, um so there you go. Have a look at those. <laughs> it's so Campbell Terry on the one. <laughs> <laughs> Two dildos. Oh, it makes the uh, makes the account worth it. That's it. <laughs> and that account is at rtr underscore pod. Oh, nicely done. You can also listen to all the previous episodes of Royal the Roost podcast at rtrpod.com. Uh, you can listen to it on iTunes or on Acast. Uh, I believe you can download the pod through Acast as well, which is a good alternative for anyone that doesn't have an Apple phone, um, which I might be joining soon, Raj. I'm sorry, I might be selling out of the... Not, not the Apple ecosystem entirely. The computers are vastly superior but the iphone 7 i'm just not on board of it mate i'm not on board of it but that's a subject for another day um is that to coincide with your new subscription to breitbart london (laughs) um yeah no stop it right so (laughs) listen to the pod give us some reviews on itunes send us some tweets send us some abuse send us some photoshops to seb do whatever you can. Um, come on, you Spurs. Let's beat the scum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.